welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Krista and I'm a program manager here at Can Do MS. We're excited for today's podcast, which is the second part of our 2020 Embracing Carers podcast series. Joining us, we have two support partners, Patty and Sarah, who are both mothers to children who are diagnosed with MS. In addition, we also have psychologist Roz Kalb joining us once again to lead the discussion. Roz, you can go ahead and take it away. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast about parenting a child who has MS. My name is Roz Kalb. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm very pleased to uh, be here with Sarah and Patty, who are going to share some of their experiences of having a child diagnosed with MS. So, Patty, would you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Hi, yes, my name is Patty, and um, my child was 16 when she was diagnosed. She's 31 now. She's thriving with MS, and um, I was single when we went through this process. Thank you. Sarah? Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a son, Mitchell, who was diagnosed when he was 20 years old. A sophomore in college at the time. He's now 24. Uh, at the, we were was divorced from his father, but have recently been remarried. So now I have a partner in crime to help me through the rest of this. Okay, thanks very much. So, Patty, can you tell us a little bit about the early days of Channing's first symptoms and her diagnosis? What was that like? Yes, Channing was a very active um, high school student, um, officer of everything, cheerleader, dancer, etc. And I noticed in early December, she took the ACT and she came home and slept 11 hours afterwards. The mental fatigue was something I'd never seen from her, but I thought, okay, this is the beginning of the holidays. Testing is occurring at school, etc. And then in mid-January, she came to me and said, you know, I woke up this morning and my right side is a little numb. Um, well, I blamed it on um, her going to a tanning bed for the upcoming winter homecoming event. And um, she went on to cheerleading that night where she fell during the um, cheerleading activity, the building of a structure, whatever they call that. And um, because she couldn't feel her right side, her whole right side had gone numb and it looked like she'd had a stroke. So that was the very first onset of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And she was in and out of the hospital four different times, misdiagnosed three times until we finally went to the um, Pediatric Center for Excellence in Stony Brook, New York and got a definitive diagnosis. I feel like that was a really close time from onset of symptoms to diagnosis because through the years I've heard other stories of taking years and years so we're very grateful. So so Patty how did the diagnosis um, that, that Channing received affect your relationship with her over time? Um, at the beginning there must have been sort of crisis mode uh, but then what happened? Well, we had the advantage of being super close to begin with. I've been single since she was in kindergarten, but it does place a different challenge on a relationship between a mother and an older teenage daughter. And um, 
we became very, very close. It kind of brought us closer. And then as the years went on and she got older as college student, um, she needed to push her own independent boundaries and I needed to pull my uh, investment in her life, if you will, um, back a little bit. And um, so it's been uh, kind of a ebb and flow, mm-hmm. which has caused um, some hiccups, but the communication, we've been dedicated to keeping open communication through the years. So I've gone from being a mama grizzly to a teacher, a mentor, and a partner um, through the years. And I think she would, would probably say the same thing. Sounds, uh, sounds like a very nice journey to take uh, with your I, child. Was it similar for you, Sarah, or different? Uh, um, it, I think it was a little different. I mean, we, when Mitchell was in high school, he did have lots of ear infections and things that affected balance and things like that, that they wrote off as just that sort of a, an item. I mean, he was a male in his late teens, and that's just not a demographic for, for MS. So... Uh, Mitchell went off to college, and his freshman and sophomore year, he did very well. Um, You know, typical college student, good grades, all of that sort of thing. But in the fall semester of his junior year, something just seemed different. He was pretty aloof about what was going on in school and how he was doing. Um, And anybody that knows Mitchell knows that he's a talkative guy and shares things with you. So I thought that was a little odd. He was complaining about being tired a lot. <clears throat> and he, but the thing that really caught me off guard was he wasn't driving his car very often. So he used to drive his car to school, park there, go do things. And he'd come home and visit. And none of those things seemed to be happening anymore. And he'd always have an excuse. He'd take Uber um, to go somewhere rather than drive his car. And he'd say, oh, parking's too hard or something along those. So always had an excuse. So um, finally, after a couple of months of this and lots of pestering on my side about, you know, why do you have a car if you're taking Uber everywhere? He finally admitted he wasn't comfortable driving anymore. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean you're not comfortable driving anymore? And he said, my eyesight's getting worse. I can't, I don't think I can see well enough to drive. So we continued through the discussion and he began to admit some more troubling signs about sleeping excessive amounts, even for a college student, um, having some balance issues. And so I strongly encouraged him to set an appointment with his primary care physician that he had locally and his um, eye doctor that he also had locally to get checked out and to make sure that he communicated everything that was going on with him to both of the doctors and not just one so that they could have a full picture of what they were dealing with. So he took my advice, got some appointment schedules, went in. Um, I left for Hawaii with some friends, really not thinking anything was, was going on. And, um, and then I asked his dad to say, well, you might want to go up to Reno and, and, go in with Mitchell and just kind of see, make sure that he's sharing everything he needs to share. So his dad did that, went into the appointment and about five days or four days after I got to Hawaii, I got a phone call and he said, I'm in the emergency room. Um, They think something's wrong with me. They're running all kinds of tests. And um, 
she goes, it's either going to be my um, uh, NMO, which stands for uh, neuromyelitis optica, I believe it is, which is a, a condition that's a neurological condition that leads to blindness or multiple sclerosis. And I was in Hawaii, you know, a little bit in the panic at that point in time. <laughs> so Sarah, can you remember back to how you felt um, not just about being in Hawaii, but just how you felt hearing this news about your young son. Yeah, um, you know, I knew a lot about multiple sclerosis at that point in time. So um, now granted, lots have changed in the 30 years since I had worked actively in MS. So, um, but I felt a lot of anxiety and a lot of nervousness about what was this going to mean for him long-term. Um, you know, to him, I put up this big, strong thing. You'll be fine. We'll work through this together. Don't stress out about it. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be home and we'll, we'll talk to doctors and deal with it. But inside I was very um, anxious and upset and, you know, was prone for the last couple of days in Hawaii of bursting into tears while driving down the road. <laughs> and who was your support system at that time? You were divorced, but you were co-parenting. Yep. Uh, it sounds like very effectively. So where did you get the support for the feelings you were having? I have a, a good support system in, in my family and in uh, my friends and my relationships. So it really helps. Um, Patty, how about you? Um, so you did a wonderful job of describing how your relationship has um, morphed over the years. Um, as, as Channing got older and, and became an adult, um, can you describe going back how you felt at that those early days when you first found out about the MS? Oh, absolutely. I can remember it and recall it on a on a dime um well first when we got the diagnosis in stony brook and we were getting in the van after the long day of testing channing was texting all of her friends and so excited i have ms i have him and i just looked at her and because i was feeling like a gut punch and i looked at her and said um did you hear what what they said in there and she said yeah and she's texting and i said and you know ms there's no cure right and she goes, yeah, it's okay. She said, mom, I'm not going to die. At least I know now what I have. Everybody's got something. This is just my something. And that was how she's handled it from then on. So I kind of followed her lead. You know, I was like, okay, here we go. So um, when she came back, she went immediately to the MS office and introduced herself and said, Hi, I'm Channing. I have MS. What can I do? Yeah. And so I truly have followed her bravery and her lead. And I'm not saying that she, it wasn't hard because she came back and couldn't feel either, either one of her feet. She was using a cane and as a dancer and a cheerleader and all of those things to have mobility taken away from you in, a, in an instant. And as it just kept getting worse. Um, that was really hard on her emotionally, but she, she is bottled sunshine and she was more concerned about making everyone else feel comfortable with what was going on and, you know, having her private moments of grief. Um, 
but she was bound and determined to make the best of it. So her reaction helped my reaction. Yeah. So, so, so Patty, um, Channing was busy being Channing, and I know her, and that's a really good description of the way she deals with the world around her about her MS. But that must have made it hard for you in some ways to feel and talk about your own feelings of concern and worry as a mother. Who was your support during that time? I have several friends who work in healthcare, and I was working in pharmaceutical um, sales at the time. So I had a lot of immediate medical support around us. One of Channing's friends was actually a pediatric uh, hematologist, oncologist, and he was a very wonderful support, calming presence. Um, but I have lots of family here, lots of friends who kind of stepped in and gave support. Channing's dad um, doesn't live here, but he was also very supportive, her sister. Um, but just I think my goal was to just remain calm and educate myself, provide education for Chan, um, or just give her resources so she could lead up. You know, the society was very helpful in providing that education. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I think you, what I did was I kind of bottled up my emotion there were a few times I cried. Her first um, infusion of solumedrol um, was difficult. A friend came over and helped with that. Um, you know, just and just the feeling of helplessness because you want to take that away from your child, right? I have a follow-up question for you, Patty. Um, you mentioned that you have another child. How right. did you kind of manage? the two sisters and and trying to make sure that that the older sister didn't feel neglected or left out right um madeline was about to graduate from college at that point and so she was very busy very focused on finding graduate school and doing all those things but she's also very sensitive to her sister's needs and just she's the kindest person on the planet so um we just kept her informed. I remember her coming to the hospital one time with her roommate um, and I could see the anxiety on her face. So I had to measure the amount of information that I gave her so it didn't interfere with this really stressful time in her life as well, you know, mm -hmm. graduating and figuring everything out. Um, but we're all three very, very close and I kept her informed and I think that's the best for her and let her do what she could do um, and I didn't put any kind of burden on her to make her feel like she needed to be there all the time. Super. So now a question for both of you and I think um, I'll go to Sarah first but one of the things that happens with any child um, growing up is that our relationship as a parent changes over time. It evolves as our children hopefully grow up and become more independent and wiser, uh, even without our input. So how do you feel that your relationship evolved as Mitchell's MS evolved, but also as he went into adulthood? 
Yeah, so, I mean, we always raised Mitchell to be responsible for himself. I mean, that was kind of our goal, um, you know, and that wasn't necessarily the, the approach that a lot of parents in our neighborhood took. Um, we, my thought was if he has a problem when he leaves the house, um, he has to be able to solve that problem. So if he had a problem at school, he had to talk to the teacher. Nobody went in to talk to the teacher for him, right? Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean I wouldn't support him. He'd come for advice. We'd uh, work with him, give him some suggestions, never solve it for him. Um, and we continue to do that sort of thing after his diagnosis. So um, I had to press him early on to keep at things that he was doing, get appointments scheduled, um, really focus on his schoolwork, that sort of thing, eat right, move um, don't just sleep 20 hours a day. And that was especially hard for him when the um, fatigue kind of hit, came in and set in. Um, but I never took over the task for him. I might provide additional uh, support, be an advocate for him to push things along, um, give him resources, like Patty said, provide him the information that he would need that knew ultimately that if he didn't make the decision himself, it wasn't going to be a lasting decision. So um, he had to want to stay active. He had to want to eat right. He had to set goals, um, keep lists so that he could remember things. Um, but it was up to him to execute on it. Which she has done a wonderful job. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, how about you, Patty? So he, he, Channing was younger um, okay. when this started with a, a pretty significant crisis and she's also had some other health issues along the way. So what, how has your relationship with her um, evolved? Yeah, I, with regard to her MS, I think it's gone from me feeding her information to her feeding me. And um, that, you know, movement initially uh, her movement to independence was kind of misinterpreted by me as her not needing me anymore, you know, and so we were able to, you know, navigate through that and talk about it. And my phrasing and discussions with her has become different. I don't say you should ever, uh, you know, if I think there's something maybe she should consider, I would say, Hey, have you ever considered, or, you know, I'll just send her a link to something that might be interesting, but I don't, monitor her decisions I'd wait for her to tell me what those are and I always went to her doctor's appointments as like the note taker and even when we were in the hospital I would look at her if the doctor started looking at me to tell me information I was like this is her illness this is her health journey you talk to her she is the one who has to live with this just like Sarah was saying about Mitchell you know when it came time to choose a, a disease modifying therapy you know, sure, I would bounce, be there to bounce off, but that was her body. She needed to make the decision on what was best for her. So, and I, you know, I kind of feel like MS has gone from being a roommate in our lives to a visitor um, where we're not in daily contact about it. It's more like, oh, yeah, and then there's this MS in our life that we deal with. So, and she still will say we got diagnosed, which I think is funny. We were just talking about that recently. I don't correct her, but 
we've talked about this as her disease, but she knows and is sensitive to the fact that it changed my life as well. You know, it's, it's and, wonderful to hear you say that, Patty, because we, we uh, it can do a mess. We make a, a big deal about that actually with couples and, and families that this is uh, uh, not a me disease, it's a we disease. And it's sort of easier to think about that and talk about it when it relates to spouses or partners. But I think it's a very sensitive young adult who uh, realizes that this has a tremendous impact, not just on him or herself, but on all the people who care. So the, the whole helicopter parent thing, which is such a wonderful uh, image, because I think that's what we do. We, we move in and hover when we need to and pull back when we don't. Um, Sarah, do you feel that there have been moments when your overall strategy for raising Mitchell really stressed you out, that you just wanted to go in and, and hover like mad and try to protect him? Or has it pretty much worked for you throughout? Oh, no, there's times, right? There's times where you want to jump in and, and take charge, especially when they're um, being particularly aloof and not engaged in what's going on. Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, I think it helps that I'm not, you know, 10 minutes away or half an hour away. It, it's it's a, a thought of getting in the car and driving up there. But um, but I think he, he, he's evolved to appreciate me and what I bring to the table for him. And he is much more open probably today than he was even a year ago or two years ago in terms of communication with me and getting um, thoughts on it and sharing what he's thinking and asking for advice. So I'll provide it whenever he asks for it, and um, but I won't do it. So if he comes to me and says, um, can you, you know, call my insurance company and do this? I'm like, no, you, you know, you're an adult. You need to call your insurance company and do that yourself. Um, and I go, but if you call three times and they don't respond to you, let me know and I'll see what I can do to escalate or something like that. But I'm not going to do it just because you're asking me to right off the bat. Um, so, but usually he's pretty good about it. It's only when he gets particularly tired or particularly stressed out about something that um, that, that happens. And we had that just uh, last month when he was, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why it happens this way other than the fact that he's on rituximab, which is still an unapproved therapy. Now, obviously it's, Sister uh, Aquazilumab is is very highly, very strongly related to that. So, um, but that's the approved version. And he, because he started with the rituximab before the Aquazilumab was approved, he still gets that version. Um, and he goes to UCSF down in San Francisco to get it. But um, it's always an insurance hoop that you have to jump through every six months to get it approved. And um, so last month or last cycle, he had a two month delay when in getting his treatment, which is not good at all. 
Um, but it was in the middle of this COVID situation with people working at home and communications not helping quite as well between the staff at the hospital and the insurance company and everything else. But eventually, you know, I made a couple of phone calls during that situation because things just weren't getting done and he was, he was trying uh, for lack of a better word. So, um, but no, I think he's generally, generally good and except for when he's overwhelmed by something. Now he's, um, uh, your only child, are you his primary support person in this regard or in life or has, does he have another a partner with, on whom he also relies for support? Yeah, I mean, he, his father and I both provide um, support in, in some way. His father lives a, a flight away, so it's a little further um, distance than what I can provide to him in terms of it, but his dad's great. I'm, I'm not gonna say anything um, about that. He'll jump on a plane even in the middle of COVID to do what he needs to do if he has to. Um, so that that's good. Um, but he's been in and out of relationships. He's not in a in a long-term steady relationship at this point. So I don't think he's had um, had that uh, aspect. But I think that's a challenge too for for young adults with a chronic condition like MS. I think that's right. So so uh, as a parent myself uh, of grown children and now grandchildren, I. I, I'm very much aware that I still have an on-call button on my forehead. <laughs> um, and the on-call button was pushed a lot when my kids were little. And then uh, we went through adolescence when they didn't even push the on-call button when they should have. Um, and then now as adults, interestingly, they come for support about different things, but the on-call button is still there. So. Uh, Patty, what's what's your on-call button like? Um, how does how does Channing let you know when she needs you for something? Well, we've established a little um, code on our phone calls. Like, first thing she'll say out of her mouth is, "I'm just calling to vent. I don't need advice. I just need you to listen." Okay, that sets the tone. Or when she calls and says, I really need you to give me your opinion on this. I mean, she's just upfront from the get-go. So I don't jump in with an uninvited opinion. Um, I know what my role is when she calls. So, um, you know, now we're getting, I'm getting texts with, what do you think about this paint color? You know, or those kinds of things. So. I know uh, she knows I'm here for her all the time. I think trusting one another is a, is a key, but, you know, having those discuss, discussions about your expectations and boundaries, it will do wonders for your relationship. Yep. Super. And Sarah, how about you? What's your, what's your on-call button like? Um, you know, it, it, it's fine. Mitchell, sometimes Mitchell will call me every day. Sometimes he'll call me once a week. You know, it just depends on on what he's feeling and what he's he's doing. If I don't hear from him for a week, I'm definitely calling him to find out what's going on because that's not uh, that's pretty unusual for him. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I, you know, sometimes I'll get multiple phone calls in a day because he wants more assistance with something and he'll, he'll reach out to me, but he has never been shy um, other than in the very early phases of his um, symptoms where he didn't want to tell anybody what was going on. Um, he's never really been shy in, in telling me what he needs or, or asking me for what he needs. And I don't feel like he abuses that in any way. I don't feel like he just wants me to do things for him because it's easier. Um, so he's, he's pretty good at, at just telling me what he wants. Hey mom, can you look up this drug? Tell me what you think about it or something along those lines. So it sounds as though uh, I've been talking to two amazing parents um, who really have worked hard to have strong, close, healthy relationships with their kids. And they're lucky to have such uh, smart, uh, engaged, proactive kids um, who are taking care of themselves in a variety of ways. Those things aren't always true in families. And you two have navigated this beautifully. So I'm wondering if you each have any words of wisdom um, for other parents. Um, Sarah, you want to go first? Sure. You know, I mean, I think it, it sounds like it's easy. It was easy now, but it took us a little while to kind of find our rhythm. And I think Patty kind of alluded to that as well. Right. Um, but I, for me, it's, it's listen to your child and ask lots of questions. I think that's an important thing. You know, a lot of times they will skirt around the real issue. Um, and so early on, you have to ask those questions and get them to be, be comfortable with that. Um, you know, I still go to, um, other than his primary care, his, his visits down with his neurologist, I go to every visit or his father goes to every visit and we share information around that. Um, and I'm not afraid to challenge or ask difficult questions of his physicians either, even with Mitchell in the room. And it's up to Mitchell at any point in our um, in those doctor's appointments, at what point does he want to bring me into the room, if at all? And he always pretends to bring me in at some point. Um, but, you know, challenge the doctors to treat the whole child, not just the MS, treat the nutrition, the exercise, the psychological needs. That's so important um, for these kids because they won't necessarily tell us everything that's going on with them and they need someone to talk to. Um, and like keep an open dialogue with them, ask them what's, uh, what's new in the MS world and what should they be looking out for. Um, be flexible, change is constant. Uh, and don't be afraid to try something new. So whether it's a cane, um, you know, and Mitchell had one for a while, he doesn't use it anymore, um, but he had one for a while because balance, his balance was so bad. And he didn't like to take it to school because he felt, you know, that people were looking at him. But the reality was when he did do it, he felt more comfortable moving around because he had it. So um, you have to address those psychological issues around that as well. Um, and get involved with your local community. I had some of the best resources we've had with respect to uh, MS and how to move forward have been through you know, Can Do MS, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, 
Um, you know, I've reached out for psychologists, for neurologists, for uh, recommendations for things, um, but also just, you know, be informed about what's, what's going on and care, encourage them to be informed, but be a critical thinker too of the information because there's a lot of bogus information out there too. Um, Thanks, Sarah. Um, Patty, um, advice for parents? Well, I, w I just want to reiterate what she said about educating yourself um, and teaching your child to become an advocate for themselves. I think that is very, very important. Be patient and loving and kind, not only to your child, to, to their care team, but also to yourself. I mean, give yourself some grace as you go along and realize all your, your emotions are valid and work through those. Um, let your child know that you're there for them unconditionally. Help them to learn to thrive with MS and never allow them to wallow in self-pity. You can deal with the grief that MS, the life changes that MS has um, on a daily basis, sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes for an hour. Maybe you have a day that's bad, but don't allow yourself or your child to stay there. Help them to see the silver lining. I think that's our our role as parents too. I think that's wonderful advice for parents. I have one follow-up question for you, Patty. So Channing is this very cheerful, bubbly, happy person who deals with a lot of her feelings and challenges inside herself. Um, I know that from talking to her. Um, do you ever feel like she is trying to protect you from some of the feelings and challenges that she experiences herself, whether emotionally or physically? Um, oh, yes, definitely. Um, those calls where she'll set the expectation for the call, those calls start with, I don't want you to worry, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. But no, we've talked through the depression, the times of depression and sadness that she's had. Um, but she had a teacher in high school that year that she was diagnosed and or going through that process who saw her limping out to her car and very sad. And she took her aside and she said, I just, you know, talk to me, tell me what's going on. She said, I just want everyone to be okay. And Mrs. Pickup said, but you're not okay. And she said, but I'll, 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 I'll be okay. And she said, well, let me tell you this. My daughter has diabetes and sometimes she gets down. And so we set a, a certain amount of time that she can have to to just grieve and get mad and do all this, all the things that she wants to do. Um, but then you accept the reality and you pick yourself up and dust yourself off and you go and you make the best of it. And that was the conversation that was a game changer for her. And she still refers to that today, 15 years later. So you never know the power of your words. Mm -hmm. And I have thanked Mrs. Pickup countless, countless times. <laughs> I'm sure you do. It was so. very good advice. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time um, to share your experiences and, and talk to me. I've always loved working with the two of you, and I look forward to having more conversations in the future. Thank you very much. Well, we appreciate so much all the good work you do at Can Do MS. It's been so valuable to us. Thank you.
This podcast is part of the Embracing Care series, an initiative led by EMD Serono in collaboration with leading caregiver organizations around the world to increase awareness and action about the often overlooked needs of caregivers. Be sure to check out Embracing Carers further and visit our website at cando-ms.org. Thank you all so much for tuning in and joining us today.